Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Now in the previous broadcast, I was in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to finish up what I would like to talk about from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In this program, I'm going to talk about verses 26, 27, and 28 in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and then I'm going to talk about the subject of ministry. This is a very important subject because there are many people who have been divorced and they have been told that under no circumstance will they ever be able to participate in ministry. And so in this program, I'm going to spend some time talking about that. But to begin with, I'm going to finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 26, what we have is we have the description of the intent of this letter. We have a verse that describes the intent. In verse 26 it says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. It's very important to see this. I talked about this in the previous program, that the intent of 1 Corinthians, the intent of this letter that Paul wrote, is to deal with the present distress, to deal with the present circumstances, to respond to the letter that they wrote him, to answer the questions that they asked him, to help resolve the problems that they were presently faced with. He says that because of the present distress, a person should just simply remain in the situation that they are in. And you know, one of the reasons why is because If you are a new believer in Christ Jesus, you should expect a change to occur in your being. You should expect a change to occur in your life as you grow and mature in your relationship with Christ Jesus. Are you having a problem with who you're married to? Are you having problems? Are you struggling in your marriage You know, you should expect some changes to occur, maybe not in your spouse, but how about you? And if you call maturity having an increased desire to divorce your unbelieving spouse, if that's what you call maturity, and I know a lot of people who think of maturity in that way, then I'm going to tell you that that is not maturity, that is a description of a failure. To mature, a failure, because if you mature, then that means that you grow in the love of God, you grow in the forgiveness of God, you grow in the mercy of God. I would expect that you would relate to your spouse in a different way, not in a way of condemnation. You will if you're maturing in the law, but if you're maturing in the grace of God, then you will relate to your spouse according to the grace of God, and you 
will find that there will be new opportunities to build a better marriage because you are a believer. I really believe that this needs to be said and that this needs to be heard because I encounter a lot of people who are believers and they they were fine with their marriage before they got saved. And then after they got saved, somehow this causes them to condemn their spouse more, to look at their spouse as if their spouse is evil more. Whatever happened to seeing your spouse through God's eyes, hearing your spouse through your God's ears, loving your spouse through the heart of God. What about that? That is something that a person will never experience if they are not maturing in the faith. If they are a believer and they are not maturing in their faith, it's probably because they're stuck in the obstacles of the law, and this would be the natural expression of an individual living a life of dependency or trust in the law, or reliance on the law in some way, what will happen is is that they will be forced in many respects from a spiritual point of view to condemn their spouse and then their marriage will definitely have new problems that it didn't have before. So continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 27, it says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you. Please focus on verse 27, where it says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And, of course, this could also apply to the other gender, that if you are bound to a husband, don't seek to be free from a husband. And if you don't have a husband, then don't seek a husband. What is he talking about? He's talking about the present distress, the present confusion, the present uncertainty. The Corinthians were having a lot of trouble. And so Paul says, listen, while you're going through all of these changes, all of this turmoil... Wait, don't make any major decisions like this. Wait until things get settled down. And then he says later on, he says, I will set the rest in order when I come to see you. That is what he's talking about. In verse 26, he says, because of the present distress, I say that this should be the case. The reason why I'm saying that is because there are appropriate circumstances where if you are loosed from a spouse... By all means, go ahead and look for another spouse. You cannot look at verse 27 and say that a person is forbidden from looking for another spouse. You can't say that because they may not be in the present distress that the Corinthians were in. Or if they are bound, do not seek to be loosed. Now listen, if you're bound, I don't think you should seek to be loosed anyway. But... After the distress is over, if the situation is such that a divorce is a decision that a person wants to make, then after the present distress is resolved, then perhaps it would be an appropriate time to address that particular situation. He is not saying never. He is just saying based on the present circumstances, 
Let's just try to keep things the way they are for now. So that's the first thing that I wanted to mention here in these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The next thing that I want you to see is that in verse 28 he says, But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Who? Even if who marries? Well, look at verse 27. Those who are loosed from a wife. Or you could also say, those who are loosed from a husband. If they marry, they have not sinned. Now, let me tell you something about this word, loosed. This word means divorced. That's what this word means. That's the word that the Apostle Paul used in verse 27. If you go to the Greek language and identify the word that's used for divorce, this is it. This is the one. And so if we were to read verse 27 from a translation of that word into the present terminology that would be the most applicable to the description that he gives, this is what verse 27 would say. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be divorced. Are you divorced from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Again, are you bound to a wife? If you're bound, then that means if you're loosed, you're going to be divorced. It doesn't mean that you're going to be sort of divorced or separated or something like that. Loosed, you know, what does that mean? We can call that kind of a loose word and come up with loose definitions. That's not what it says. It says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be divorced. Are you divorced from a wife? Do not seek a wife because of the present distress, because of the present circumstances, because of what's going on. All this turmoil, all these questions, all these problems. Let's resolve these things first. And then if you are divorced from a wife, then you can consider seeking a wife. Same thing if we were to consider using the word husband in verse 27. Are you Bound to a husband, do not seek to be divorced. Are you divorced from a husband? Do not seek a husband because of the present distress. In other words, after the distress is resolved, then if you are divorced from a husband, you can consider seeking a husband. In verse 28, But even if you do marry, in other words, even if you do not wait until the present distress is resolved, you do not sin. Do you understand that? If you are divorced and you get married, you do not sin. And this is one of the questions I said that I would answer in this series. Is divorce a sin or not? And I did answer this question previously in another program, in another circumstance. But in this circumstance, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul himself says that divorce is not a sin, and he says that remarriage is not a sin. And he doesn't talk about exceptions. He talks about the plain issue of marriage and divorce. 
this is what I want you to see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I believe that the Lord will speak to you concerning this. And so I am going to stop here and I'm going to proceed into the next subject. Now, the next subject has to do with ministry. This is a big subject because there are many people who have been divorced who really do want to be a part of the ministry. They really do. Now, if you have been divorced and you want to be a part of a ministry, you have probably already tried and you have probably already discovered that for the most part, nobody wants you to be a part of their ministry, at least not in a public way. You know, you can help out with the administrative stuff or some of the labor or whatever, but if you're going to talk to people about Jesus, for the most part, that's considered to be unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable in the minds of many people. Now, I'm going to be very direct about this, just because I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to be very direct, and I'm going to tell you exactly what you're faced with, or what you have been faced with. For the most part, what most ministries do, or let's just talk about churches to make it a little bit simpler. What most churches do is they they function on the basis of we are holy, we are impressive, and so we want you to come here and be just like us. That's how most churches operate. They advertise themselves as being so perfect that you will be so enamored, you will be so amazed at how wonderful the church is, at how wonderful the leadership are, that you are going to want to be just like them. That's how churches generally function. In order to succeed at doing this, they need some idols. That's what they need. They need people who will assume the position of an idol, so that people will look up to them and say that they want to be just like them. And also, so the church can advertise them that way, you can be just like us. This is how the majority of churches and ministries operate. And it's expressed in various ways. For example, one of the ways that this is expressed is that the pastor will stand before the congregation and the pastor will say, I am here to teach you how to stop sinning. And of course, I have found a way to stop sinning. And so I am going to tell you how to live so that you can be just like me, one who doesn't sin. This is how it's normally advertised. And they will usually qualify it by saying things like, with some exceptions that I won't tell you about, you know, because they're not that big of a deal anyway. You know, they're little sins. They're not huge sins, not like yours, okay? This is what's going on. And so what they need is they need a person with certain qualifications. And these qualifications include holiness. They include a person who has never sinned, you know, too much, who has never violated God too much. You know, somebody that they can put up as an idol. And if you have failed through divorce, then you will no longer conform to the idol that they want to represent the ministry, to represent the church. This is how it is, all right? This is just the bottom line. 
Now, there are some scriptural references that people use. I mean, you can consider, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where it says that a bishop or an elder or a deacon should be a husband of one wife. That's the reference there. And people will look at that and they will say various things. They will say things like, well, it should be a husband of at least one wife. And I don't think that's the case, but some people secretly believe that. So I thought I would at least mention it, that some people look at it from that point of view. I personally think that Paul was writing this letter to Timothy to deal with the present circumstances in the community that Timothy was in. And that if he is going to select people to fulfill certain roles in the church there at that time, that it would be a good idea for him to select a person, a leader, a pastor, elder, bishop, someone who has one wife. And there are two different ways to look at this. The first way is to say that, yes, they will be looked at in the community as someone who has experienced success, who has a positive reputation in the sense that they have not failed in a marriage, that can be true. That can be legitimate. He may have actually said that for that purpose. He could have also said it from the point of view of the Sanhedrin, though. This is another option that he could have said, listen, if a person is going to be in a position of authority then let's consider the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin required its members to be married. And so if a person is not married, then they're not going to be suitable as a leader in the community because of the Sadducaic or Pharisaical bias, perhaps, or just simply because they have not demonstrated their leadership ability by being able to lead their wives or lead their family, per se, These are all reasonable possibilities, and people have had a lot to say. They have had a lot to say about the value of having a leader who is a husband of a wife. Absolutely. But what people say is is that it has to be one wife, the same wife, and perhaps he was intending to say that, perhaps he wasn't. I'm not going to say that he wasn't. I'm not passing judgment at all. In that way, all I am saying is that Paul was saying this to Timothy because of the present circumstances, because of where Timothy was at, because of who Timothy was going to minister to. But it doesn't mean automatically that this always has to be the case. It doesn't mean that if you're going to be in the ministry, you have to always be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband. Either way, it doesn't mean that. Let me give you an example beyond what I just read here in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the present distress. How about another example? How about 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 34, it says... Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. How about that? I mean, if you want to refer to Timothy and say that it is unacceptable 
for a person who has been divorced to be in the ministry, you can also refer to 1 Corinthians and say it is unacceptable for a woman to ever speak in church. Now, listen, folks, that's what it says. And I believe that based on the present circumstances, the present distress that Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians, and because of the present circumstances of building a church where Timothy was, that it's acceptable to make these kinds of restrictions given certain circumstances. Absolutely. I can think of some situations where if I was the pastor of some churches, I would require that the women do not speak, and if they've got any questions, they should ask their husbands. I can think of some circumstances where I would do that. Now, having said that, I can't imagine ever being in those circumstances, but I can come up with some circumstances where I would require that. So also, I can think of some circumstances where I would require that a person who is divorced, I would require that that person not participate in ministry under some circumstances. But again, I will also say that I personally do not expect to ever be confronted with that kind of a situation where I would put that kind of restriction out there for a present circumstance or a present distress. So, folks, this is the point. The point is is that you have to consider the circumstances and the situations at hand. Always. You must always be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when it comes to these things. But, folks, if you want to be in the ministry, you need to respect the fact that there are many people who will not allow you to be a part of their ministry because you're divorced. That's just the way it is. And you are going to have to allow people the freedom to make those kinds of decisions. But can you be in the ministry? I will say, absolutely, without question. The Lord does not require someone to be in a state of never being divorced in order to share the gospel with somebody. If you want to tell people about Jesus, then do it. If you want to be the pastor of a church, then start a church. Do it. If there isn't a church in existence presently that will allow you to be the pastor of their church, then start your own. Start one. If that's what you want to do, then you do it. Do not ever let anyone stop you from what the Lord directs you to do. So I believe that if a person is divorced, of course they can be in the ministry. Absolutely. The problem is that you're going to have a hard time finding people who are going to be willing to support you. But you will find people who will support you. Let me give you an example. Who might support you? Well, how about those who have been divorced? They'll probably support you. I mean, think about it. Who better to minister to someone who has been divorced than someone who's been divorced? I mean, does it make much sense for a person who is struggling with the issues in their marriage, for example, to go and seek counsel from someone who doesn't have any idea what it is to struggle in a marriage? It makes no sense at all. Not to me. If you want counsel, if you want help, if you want discipleship, some of the best people who will be the best equipped in order to help people deal with the issues that they are struggling with are definitely 
those people who have dealt with those issues, whether they have dealt with them successfully or unsuccessfully, however you want to measure that, at least they've had some exposure to it. At least they can relate to it. At least they will have been, as it is written, comforted by the Spirit of God, and they will be able to comfort others with the comfort that they have received from Him. But if they have never had any need for the comfort of God because they have never encountered those circumstances, then they will never be able to comfort those who are struggling with those issues. And so please do not let anyone ever stop you from helping others, from ministering to others, from telling others about the gospel. They may not be willing to help you, but folks, they will never be able to stop you either. And if they are not willing to help you because of something like this, then this does tell you something about them. Maybe you don't want their help anyway. I mean, do you really want someone to help you when they believe something like that? I mean, if they believe that you are defiled to the point where the Lord cannot use you to communicate the gospel, he will not use you to bring others to salvation, he will not use you to bring healing to the hurting, if that's who they are, do you really want their support anyway? I don't think that that will be a reliable support base. I really don't. And so I believe that you should have confidence in the people who do support you because they support you for who you are. They support you for your successes and they support you for your failures. And do not be afraid of either one because it is truly both our successes and our failures that shape a great part of who we are as a person. And our God can use anyone, whoever they are, in whatever condition they are in, to draw people to himself. So do not be afraid, and do not let anyone stop you from what the Lord directs you to do. If you have failed, then fail. And do not hide from that. Embrace that. Embrace that so that you can start a new beginning. Begin again from the foundation of your failure and allow the Lord to use you in ways that he probably would never be able to use these idols that people create. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may